Romans chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Romans chapter 3. We're jumping in and running fast. Probably at least eight verses tonight. I mean, something like that, crazy like that. <laughs> Let's not get too excited. We're, we're near the end of Romans chapter 3. We, we, we will absolutely get into, at the very least, the first five verses of chapter 4, because I want to talk to you tonight about grace and faith and law and works. And I think this is a very good time to do that. So let's pick up here um, at verse number 26, I believe is where we ended, or thereabouts. Does anybody have a different ending? Not your desires, but the actual case. <laughs> Verse 26 says, for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. I think we at least made it through that verse because we were talking about God's overlooking and um, his, his being righteous. So we get to verse 27, and uh, because God is righteous, verse 25, 6, because God is the justifier, because justification is not from law, because justification is from grace through faith, all of these things bring us to another question in verse 27. Where then is boasting? Well, it's excluded because of all those other things. Because God is righteous, because God is just, because it's not from law, because justification is from grace, it cannot, there is no room and no place for men to boast. In fact, he answers the question. Where is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by a law of faith. Verse 28, he says, for we maintain, we keep proving, we continue to say that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then there is another great question. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not then, is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And you'll note the answer. I don't know if this would have been shocking to the Jews, if they would have answered otherwise, but based upon chapter 1 as well as chapter 2, they are all in sin, under sin. They are all without excuse. And some of the things that's already been said, verse number 9, for instance, of chapter 3, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. What advantage then has the Jew? Well, every way. And so these questions just keep coming, and Paul just keeps answering. Is he the God of the Jews only? No, he's not the God of the Jews only. He is also the God of the Gentiles. Since indeed, God who will justify the circumcised Jew by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This is a very good introduction into chapter 4. And this will bleed right into what he's going to say about Abraham and David. That faith justifies and that anyone of faith, Jew or Gentile, will and can be justified by God. Now remember, these are the Jews still asking questions, and so there is yet another one in verse 31. Do we then nullify the law through faith? 
May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So, the questions, chapter 3, verse 1, what advantage has the Jew? Chiefly every way. Question, verse 9, are we better than they? Not at all. Verse 27, where then is boasting? Verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Verse 31, do we nullify the law through faith? May it never be. We actually establish the law. We establish its existence. We establish its necessity. We establish its goodness to do what it did and what it was designed to do. In chapter 7, he will refer to it as holy and just and good. We establish its holiness. The law was good. Let's talk then about what he will say next in these first four verses and then talk about these four things. Some thoughts about grace. Grace comes from the character of God. God is good and God gives. And so that's the, the, the place and, and where grace comes from. And Paul is going to say that back in chapter 3 and verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace. God's goodness is where grace comes from. And as Paul talks about these things, he's going to talk about works and grace and faith and law. It's important to appreciate that he talks about these things from different angles and different perspectives relative to them. I've lost my place. I'm finding it now. really close to walking out of the house without my tablet at all, and I would have done this by memory, and that really would have been bad. So I'm thankful that I remembered to bring it. Having said that, down, let me find the spot. Apologies, apologies. Have you ever embarrassed your wife? Sister <laughs> Owen's not embarrassed by this. She's used to me messing up. She's good. <laughs> all right. We're good to go now. Grace, that's where we were. When speaking about these things, they have to be understood individually. And they un have to be understood as to how they relate to each other. Sometimes the subject of justification is talked about from its origin, its inception. Where does justification originate? Sometimes that's the discussion. Other times, the discussion is about what grace requires. Are there any requirements attached to it? And depending on what is being talked about will be the answer that's given, which is why sometimes the answers seem contradictory. In some places, you'll read works. In other places, you'll read not by works. It depends on where the conversation is being had. Justification's origin, the origination of justification comes from God. God is good. God is gracious. It emanates from his very essence, his character, his being. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when describing himself to Moses, among the first descriptive words he uses is, I am gracious. The Lord, the Lord God, gracious. 
And so when we are talking about justification, man is already in sin when the conversation ensues. If we were just talking about the nature of God, we could have that conversation biblically without the creation. We don't even have to start with Genesis 1. That's not where we would start because God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Well, since he's from everlasting to everlasting, whatever he is, he is that eternally. We don't have a day one yet. We don't have an in the beginning, and we have God being good. So by the time we're talking justification, man is already in sin. There's no talk of justification in Genesis 1. There's no talk of justification in Genesis 2. The conversation of justification begins in chapter 3 when man is in sin, and from that point and perspective then, man is already in sin. And since he's in sin, now he needs justification. Well, where does it come from? It comes from the grace of God. It comes from God. And this is why verse 24 says it's a gift. Chapter 3 and verse 24 says being justified as a gift. This is the origin of grace, the genesis of grace. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, the first part of the verse, and you'll read very similar language. Paul will say in Ephesians 2 and verse number 8, for by grace are you saved. Well, you're already in sin, and therefore you're in need of grace. And so if you will be saved, it will be by God's goodness. Now, when the Bible talks about justification, and it will later say here of Abraham and others, not of works, well, that's what it means. The justification does not come as a result of human effort. It originates in God's goodness, and then God extends himself to humanity. Now, that conversation would have to end right there, because then we would have to talk about faith. And so, faith then would begin a discussion of what does God's grace require? Does it require anything? The origin of salvation and justification is never going to change. That originates in God. There is nothing a human can do to move God to move toward him. He doesn't have to. He's already in sin. He cannot get out. If God doesn't move toward him, he's hopeless and helpless. In fact, that language is used in Scripture. When we were without strength, while you were without Christ, you were without God, and you were without hope. That's man in sin, apart from God's grace. Okay, so then God sees man in sin, and now God extends his grace. How is man justified? By grace. But that doesn't tell the whole story. It tells the origin of grace. To discuss then how that man is going to be justified, we have to have a discussion about faith. Because God's grace requires faith. Faith then, let's talk about that. When we're talking about faith, it's the requirements of God's grace. God in his grace is willing to save, but God demands faith. And so, as you read verse 24 of chapter 3, being justified as a gift by his grace, origin, Genesis, how? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, 
whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood, how? Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. Verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We'll get to that. But you'll just note the emphasis of faith and how it's necessary for justification. In that same verse, Ephesians 2 and verse number 8, the latter part of that verse, it went on to say, for by grace are you saved. But it didn't stop there. It said, for by grace are you saved through faith. How is a person justified? By grace. How is a person justified? By faith. Why is faith necessary? Because God demands it. The goodness and the grace of God demands faith on the part of humanity. Well, what saves? Faith saves. We still haven't gotten to works yet because that's not how we're saved. Notice verse 27 and 28. Where then is boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law? Of works? But there is a law. Note the rest of the verse. No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. By faith apart from the works of the law. So then let's talk about law briefly. Look back in chapter 3 and verse 20. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When you read that verse, it's important to understand that that verse, and to my knowledge, no other verse in the New Testament teaches that no one was justified under the law. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying a person could not find justification under the law. I know it reads exactly like that, but that's not what it says at all. It says, because by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Remember, the people Paul are, is addressing, the condition under which they are living and have been living, go back to chapter 2. And look what he says in verse 23. He says, you who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, note that circumcision is of value. Well, how is circumcision of a value? If you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Paul is not saying that a person cannot be justified under the law. He is saying that person, the person who boasts in the law, the person who is breaking the law, no, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But when you read that, you shouldn't think people weren't justified under the law. Look at a couple. Look back in the book of Luke in chapter 1. It'd be hard-pressed to call these people anything other than justified because that's ex exactly the language of the text. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 6, verse number 5 says there, Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this is Zechariah and Elizabeth. What does verse 6 say about them? They were both righteous. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking how? 
blamelessly. In what? All the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Could a person be justified under the law? Absolutely. These people were. Well, how could you be justified under the law? The apostle Paul said he was. Philippians 3 and verse number 6, he describes himself much in that very language right there. How could you be justified under the law? We'll get to that. We'll circle back and we'll get to that. Let's talk now about works. What works don't justify? First of all, the works of men don't justify. If we read Romans chapter 1, the Bible says of the Gentiles, they exchanged God. They knew God, didn't glorify him as God, they exchanged God. If you exchange God, what are you left with? Nothing. The Gentiles were left to themselves. Did they cease to be religious? No. No, they were religious. They were idolatrous. Well, who made up the religion? Well, they did. That can't justify. Those works can't justify. The Jews, on the other hand, had the law. What did they do with it? They disobeyed too. And in fact, what Jesus runs into more than one occasion is they put their traditions above the law of Moses. Well, who came up with these traditions? Not God. They're in the same boat. Those works can't justify. The works that you invent can't justify. And if you try to live under the law without faith, you can't find justification. Works without faith under the law can't justify. Chapter 3 and verse 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Well, we just read Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were blameless. What's he saying? The Jews are attempting to find justification under the law while breaking the law without faith. That can't justify. In fact, Paul spells it out in a couple of places. Let's finish first Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And listen to what Paul says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't originate this. It didn't come from you. It's not from you. Not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Look at Romans chapter 9 and listen to Paul explain it in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse number 30. He says, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? Even the righteousness which is by faith? Did the Gentiles get to righteousness? Yes. How did they get there? By faith. Well, what's the problem with the Jews? Verse number 31 says, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why not? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. 
They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Why didn't the Jews get there? They didn't seek it by faith. What if you did live under the law by faith? Then you could be justified. What would be justifying you? Faith, not your works. This is why when we read the very next chapter in Romans, Abraham is mentioned, but so is David. David lived under the law. Was he justified? Absolutely. How? By faith. And so when we read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you've noticed that you can start in patriarchy with Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, and the verse begins with, by faith. And then you can move to the law of Moses. What shall I say more about Jephthah and David and the prophets and all? Well, where did they live? Not in patriarchy. They lived under the law. How were they justified? By faith. Faith works. In fact, John 6, 28 and 29, it's called a work. What must we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus said, believe on him whom he has sent. God demands that we believe. And so Paul can say, and it be true, chapter 3 and verse 20, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If you remove faith from the equation, that is absolutely the case. You cannot take the law, remove faith, and keep it, and then find justification. You cannot do that. No, deed, no law, no one will be justified by doing that. The works in question is not a work of faith. It's a work apart from faith, a work that would put God into one's debt. If you took a law, kept it perfectly, the end of which you could then say, having kept this law perfectly, you owe me justification. You're in my debt. Why are you in my debt? I've kept the law perfectly. Well, th that's, that would just destroy the entire construct. And so Paul says in verse 24, the reason that could never happen is you were in sin when he gave you the gift. There's no way it can ever be by your works because you were already in a place where you couldn't get out of without him. And so it's not going to be by works. It's not going to be by humanly devised works. So we enter chapter 4, and he talks about Abraham and David. Let's read the first five verses here and talk about faith and works. It's a different work, though. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, 
His wage is not credited as a favor or a gift, but as what is due, as a debt. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. James picks up the discussion of faith and teaches that faith works. So the discussion is being had from two different places. The origin of justification is God. We can never get beyond that. If it doesn't move toward us, we're hopeless. The requirements of justification is faith. If you start with what's faith, then James would be a great passage to read because faith must act. It must do whatever God says. Romans 10 and verse 17 will say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The owner of said faith believes God. And as a result of believing God, he will then do what God said. He does not seek justification on his own. In fact, he wouldn't have known what God required if God didn't graciously reveal it to him. Having graciously revealed it to him, he now knows what God requires, but his trust is in God. I believe you. I trust you. And now you told me to, you fill in the blank, you told me to build an ark. Will I build the ark? Yes, because I believe you. You told me to march around the city. Will I march around the city? Yes, but the only reason I'll march around this city is because I believe you. You just fill in the blank thereafter, and this is why when you read Hebrews 11, it begins by saying, by faith. Well, that means the faith is had. I have it. What's faith? I believe you. I trust you. I already got that. Well, then why did I do anything? Because you're the one who, in your grace, told me to. Whose works are they now? What must we do to work the work of God? Those are the works that justify. And so Paul can say, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Paul can say, Abraham doesn't have anything to boast because the one who believes is justified. That's absolutely right. And then James can say, faith without works is dead, being alone. It's imperative, though, to get the right procedure and process to the thinking. Sometimes, if you aren't careful, you can start over here with faith and turn faith into a work that you— you, you put the emphasis on the work, and you miss the trust. And you and I can start measuring the works just like the Jews did and turn the faith of God into a work-based religion just like they did the law. We can just as well take faith right out of the New Covenant just like they did out of the Old Covenant. Please remember, Deuteronomy 6 is being quoted in Matthew 22. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's a quote in the Old Testament. What were they to be people of? They were to be people of faith. They were to believe God, and then they were to do what he says. 
There's no difference in that in the New Testament. What did they do with that? They took faith right off the table, and they started to emphasize their ability to keep said law. And you and I could do the exact same thing. James will say, and he's very clear. Let's look at James chapter 2. Verse number 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and he has no works, can faith save him? It's impaired to appreciate whose works those are. He has no works. Well, whose works are these? They're not his. These are the works of God, but he doesn't have any because he's not willing to do what God says. How do you know? Look at the very next verse. If a brother or sister without clothing in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? That's not the way God teaches his children to act one toward another. Don't do anything to help anybody. That's not, you didn't get that from God. What use is that? He will go on to say, in the exact same way, even so faith, if it has no works, it's dead. Being alone. What faith has no works? The faith that says God's grace given, and then God says, do something. God said it. Again, in the case of Noah, build an ark. If you read Genesis 6 and you read verse 13, the Bible will say, and the Lord said to Noah, I will destroy all flesh whom I've created on the earth. So that's what God says to Noah. I'm going to destroy the world. Verse number 14 says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Let's put you and I in the place of Noah. God says, I'm going to destroy the world. And then he says, you make an ark. What James is discussing is, if you say, I believe you, but I won't make the ark. James is saying, your belief without the accompanying works to build this ark because God said so, that's what James is saying. Faith without works, what good, what profit? He goes on to say, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James' point is really clear. If God's grace instructs you, commands you to do something, and you take two people, and one says, I believe you, but I'm not going to do anything, but I have faith. James says, the other says, I believe you, and I will do exactly what you say. One of these is faith. One of them is not. One of them will find approval of God. One of them will not. Don't have time tonight, but if you would like to read this in your Bible, you would want to read Numbers 13 and 14. You read those two chapters together, and what you will find are 12 Israelites. So these people cannot be called Gentiles. These are 12 Israelites, but they're not just any Israelites. If you read the early portions of the chapter, you will find that these individuals are heads of tribes in Israel. These are leaders in the nation. They will be named, and you get down to about verse 17 of chapter 13, they will then be instructed by God through Moses to go into the land and spy it out. They're to bring back a report about what they've seen. Read it very closely, and you will see that God does not say, I want you to assess your ability to take it. 
It's not what he says. It is simply a fact-finding mission. It is simply a visual. Go see the land. When they come back, they say, we can't go. And they don't. Here are believers in God in the sense that they know he's Jehovah. They're leaders in Israel. They're faithful men, heads of clans. These are people who know the Lord. These are also people who have seen the land for 40 days, and they do know it is as God said it was. In fact, that's what they say. But these are individuals who won't go take the land. That's James's point. You say you believe, but you won't do what he says. And you need to read chapter 14 because in chapter 14, listen to everybody talk. Moses talks, Aaron talks, Joshua talks, Caleb talks, the ten spies talk, the two spies talk, the nation talks, and then at last God talks. So you don't have to wonder how God feels, views it, or sees it, or thinks about it, because he says it. In Numbers 14, 11, God says to Moses, how long will it be ere they believe me? They do believe. They're Israelites. They're heads of clans. They've seen the land. They believe him but they won't do what he says, and he calls that unbelief. James says, to say you believe him and refuse to do what he says, James says, such a faith. He says, verse 19, you believe there's one God, that's what they do. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? This is not works of the law. This is not works apart from God. This is not works of human origination. This is the works that come with faith. This is the faith that does whatever God says. And so he goes on to say, was not our Abraham our father justified by works? Paul says Abraham was not justified by works. This is my point. Paul means he was not justified by human works. He was not justified by some law-keeping. He was not justified by some merit. He was not justified apart from faith. James says he was justified by works. Well, the reason he's justified by works is because if faith were a bun, works would be the hot dog. The works are in the faith. You cannot separate them with God's approval and endorsement. And so you can read Hebrews 11. By faith, there's the belief. They moved. They did. They did the works of God. And without that part, this part, God says, you don't believe me. And you and I talk the exact same way. You and I say the same thing. We tell somebody we're going to do something. We tell somebody to trust us. We tell somebody, but they have to move, and they say, hmm. We say, just jump. Come on, I got you. Building's on fire. I got you, jump. And they stand on the edge, and they say, hmm. What do we, I don't believe you. What don't you believe? I don't believe you'll catch me. I don't believe you'll do what you say. I don't believe I'm safe. I don't believe, and therefore, I don't jump. When it comes to justification, you can always find salvation at the end, right after the works of faith. 
You'll never put, take salvation and put it on this side of faith. It's always you're in sin, God gives his grace, God tells you what to do, and then he waits to see if you trust him to do what he says. And only after you do does he say. If you stop the process at a lack of faith, there'll be no justification. I cite you Naaman as an example. Here's God's grace, the prophet. Here's his commands. Go dip in the Jordan seven times. Here's Naaman. If you stop the process here, there'll be no cleansing. When was he cleansed? Right after he dipped seven times in the Jordan. Take Exodus 12. Put the blood in these places. Clear the leaven out. Exodus 12 and verse 13, the Bible says, I will pass through the land, and when I see the blood. When are you going to pass over? Not when you think about putting the blood out. Not when you say you believe he will. Not when you just sit in your house. No. When are you going to pass over? When I see the blood. What if there's no blood on the house? Then the death of the firstborn will come to your family of man and animal. Where is salvation? Justification is always on the other side of faith. God's grace, his commands, your faith, then justification. It's the reason Abraham can appear in both texts as not being justified by works and being justified by works. Abraham did, first he believed God, and then he did what God said. We got time for a couple more passages. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Abraham believed God. In fact, that's the language. Genesis 15 and verse number 6. Well, go back up to verse 4. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. Guess we could have started at 1. Abraham offers Eliezer to be his heir. He says, I don't have any son. I don't have any children yet. Verse number 2, to which God says, This man will not be your heir. This man will not be your heir. Verse 4, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens. Count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6. Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. How was Abraham justified? He believed. But I thought you said belief has to do something. Look over in Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 8, Abraham said to Isaac, he said to his son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his, his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Go over to Romans 4. Listen to what it says about Abraham. He believed God. He didn't devise his own works. He didn't originate them. He believed God, trusted God, and then he did what God said. What then shall we say that Abraham, my forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. James chapter 2. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. James chapter 2 and verse number 20, but you, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith was, without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when? It doesn't say 15.6. doesn't cite Genesis 15.6 here. It says he believed. It says it was credited. When was he justified? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. That brings us to chapter 4. Any questions or thoughts or comments you have about anything we discussed tonight? We still have three minutes. Romans chapter 4. <laughs> I let y'all go early Sunday night. I mean, <laughs> you don't want these last three minutes. Let's review. Paul uses two people in this chapter that the Jews would have been not only familiar with, they would have been very fond of. The father of their faith, Abraham, and the greatest king in their history, David, the only man described as a man after God's own heart. Gentiles understand chapter 1. Jews understand chapter 2. All Jew and Gentile understand chapter 3. No one is justified by the law apart from faith. All justified by grace. All justified by faith in Christ. Is he the God of the Jews and the Gentiles? Yes, he is both the God of the Jew and the Gentile. Abraham is his first example. He's actually going to return to Abraham, but before he does that, he's going to talk about David. And he explains that we just did in those first five verses, so I won't repeat them. But let's at least read 6, 7, and 8, because this is the section about David. Just as, now that comes also on the heels of verse 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness, just as David also speaks. Well, David speaks about such a man? Yes. David speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. What system did David live under? He lived under the law. 
Can a man be justified under the law apart from works? Yes, by faith. And David is such a man. And if a man were justified apart from works under the law, what David says is, that's a blessed man. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Who's he talking about? Faithful people under the law. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. For homework, you'll want to read Psalm 32 because that's where the quote comes from. And David is such a man, and he's talking about people of faith under the old covenant. Such a person existed apart from works. What kind of works? They didn't boast in the law, and they didn't try to earn their own way. They trusted God, and then they did what he said. By faith, such a person would be justified under the law, and blessed is the man who so lived. 